1: This is One Heat Minute. Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name? Wayne Grove. You look like gang bangers, working the local 7-Eleven here. Robbery, homicides, take it. Give me all you got! Give me all you got! I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. I'm trying to stop guys like me a podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's LA crime opus, Heat, one minute at a time. Let's do this, bad boy. Oh
0: shit, I, I, thought, I thought we already started, so I was like saying all that cheesy shit. Alright, we'll get going.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm keeping that in, I'm keeping that in to begin. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to One Heat Minute. I'm your host, Blake Howard, and joining me today is a man who really is curating and cataloging some of the best work on the internet together. And in the absolute maelstrom of shit that is Twitter, uh, there are some wonderful accounts that emerge. And one of them is curated very carefully and hilariously by my current guest. Uh, His name is Joe Grabinski, but you would know him much better um, from his absolutely insanely just consumable amazon movie reviews um, which is a m z n movie r e v w s and his pin tweet says it all a review of the wolf of wall street he captured someone who said there were no wolves in this movie
0: <laughs> awesome well that's a very uh that's a very kind uh introduction blake i'm i am a huge fan of your podcast i've Listen to 50 to 60 episodes, so it's very flattering to be on here, and I appreciate the kind words.
1: You are welcome, mate. Thank you so much. I mean, look, you know, it, I, in the words of Murray Kondo, there are very few things that spark joy on the internet, and especially Twitter. And your, um, <laughs> and your and your tweets definitely spark joy on both Letterboxd and, uh, and particularly on on the Twitter sphere. So, if you guys haven't had a chance, I'll be linking it all to the episode. But Joe and I have been communicating for some time, trying to get him on the show, and, uh, and I'm glad that he's here finally for the hundred and fortieth minute of michael mann's absolutely 1995 crime of Heat. hate holy shit joe holy shit
0: hell hell yeah i mean i have so much um the reason it took me so long to get on this podcast is i did one myself and got burnt out after 25 episodes so i have the utmost admiration for what you are doing (laughs) i mean people don't realize they just listen to the podcast but the ex, you know, the 20 exchanges with your guests, scheduling things, uh, prepping, recording, editing. I mean, it is absolutely exhausting. So you're doing quite a service to the film, fan, you know, film fandom universe by doing this. So I, I genuinely want to thank you for what you're doing.
1: Oh, you're welcome, mate. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of it. Now, look, that's way too much nicety that we're, that we're used to <laughs> on this show. So um, what we've got to get into is the 140th minute of Michael Mann's 1995 Crime Opus Heat. Um, I'm going to dive into that with Joe right now. You guys are going to listen along. We're going to watch it together and then we're going to come back and unpack it for you.
0: Yeah, what do you got? Nothing's happening. Yeah?
1: Hello, it's Vincent. What do you got? Nothing's going on.
0: Wango went for ice. That's
1: it.
0: That is the minute I watch, so I'm glad we're on the same page.
1: <laughs> you, just, you just stumbled into one of the most devastating minutes of this entire movie. It ruins that's me the, when I watch the, that minute.
0: That's the second word I had written down in my notes here. And the first word was sheer, sheer devastation. Um, can I, without taking us off track, give a brief summation of why I why I think this film works, which I think will lead well into our minute, or should I save that?
1: No, no Let's go um, right in. Let's let's jump. Let's jump right in.
0: So, r- real quick, let me give you a summation of why I why this film works for me. Um, this is the fourth time I've seen it. I saw it once when it came out in ninety, or I saw it in about nineteen ninety nine on DVD when I was about fifteen years old. Saw it about three years ago. Thought it was fantastic. I've always been a Michael Mann fan, but primarily Manhunter and Miami Vice. But upon this, these viewings, I was really struck by, let me give you an example of some characters in this film. We have a husband who has a gambling problem. We have a mom who doesn't pay attention to her child. We have a husband who focused on his work. We have a woman who loves her husband, but he's out of control a lonely woman attracted to a mysterious, powerful man, and a teenager desperate for her parents' attention. We also have a man who made some poor decisions in his past who can't get ahead in life because of those poor decisions. So I'm done summarizing some of the characters. But if I just told you about those characters, you wouldn't think we're talking about an epic film with high-stakes heists, with a professional thief, with a cocaine-fueled robbery homicide detective. You would not think that. And when you're you're watching Heat, every single one of these characters is relatable to each one of us as individuals who have not been in these situations. And to me, I just can't think of any other movie where every single one of those things is just a heightened version of things we all deal with. And it just struck me upon this viewing, or upon these viewings, just how powerful. I related to seven different characters in this movie <laughs> yes i mean and i don't know i don't know if this has been touched on in episodes i, I it's probably been touched on to varying degrees but um well i mean would you agree with that oh, assessment
1: 100 percent. well uh, i mean you, you know i think that you're just you're peeling back the layers of what the artifice is right so like with michael Mann, what's so great about the descriptions that joe you just went through is michael Mann's dealing with the archetypes you know he's gotta he's gotta have the good guy he's gotta have the bad guy but he he's he's so uh He's so much more interested in how he can craft their humanity that then they just sort of completely, they completely sort of transcend that, you know, gen- genre tag. They move into this, you know, this is a guy, this is a real guy who's got a gambling addiction and he's got a young family and he's trying to deal with like his wild side and actually settling down. And, and, and you start to, when you break it down, I think that that's exactly, you know, that's the, um, that's the archaeology of this exercise it's like digging under like what is the what what are these things and why are we so why are we so relating to these characters what do we care so much about every decision good or bad that they make in this movie and what's the art how how artful is it to be a filmmaker and a creative that knows to plant the seeds of both of these got like both these kinds of people on either side of this journey so that at no point are you feeling like, oh, well, there's the bad guy. Who cares about him? Or, you know, the good guy's an asshole. I don't. I don't really want him to catch our bad guy. I like the bad guy better. You're so invested deeply in every character.
0: One hundred percent. And it just, I was just so struck by that because I'm not normally relating to characters. I mean, we can't relate to being, hopefully, you know, cocaine robbery homicide <laughs> guys. Or we can't. We you can't relate to that, but you can relate and and. Leading into the scene here, if you don't mind me starting out on the scene. No, let's go. Um, you immediately just see the, the realization and the devastation on the faces of Charlene and Chris. Uh, Ashley, Judd, and Val Kilmer's faces, if I have their character names correctly. Um, they just have this sudden... The, the look on their faces of the magnitude of what just happened to them. And when you, it cuts to Val Kilmer... Immediately, a few seconds afterwards, you just see his, it's like he's reliving his entire relationship in that moment. In those three seconds, he's rel- reliving his entire, um, you know, they say the your life flashing before your eyes. But you just see him, the magnitude of his decisions and where he's at. And I believe normally in relationships, um, you don't have a boom, a moment where everything's done you know, it, you, you see a lot, you, there's a, a progression maybe over years or over months. And who I think reconciliation very well may have been possible for these two. But they both just instantly realized that this was over, that they were not going to have an opportunity to re- to reconcile. And to me, it's just such a powerful moment. It's like, I feel like the slate was probably uh, the slate was clean for the two of them after this traumatic instance. You know, like they're like, "Oh, we can get past our differences," but they're not going to have that opportunity. No, and that's what I felt in that moment.
1: I, I I totally agree. I think what's what's greater about what focusing in on what you said, Joe, about Chris is there have been a couple of scenes preceding this where Charlene has been grappling with knowing that this moment is coming. So she's kind of like, in her own way she's still negotiating but she kind of knows the bomb that she's about to throw in chris's lap and what's so wonderful about kilmer's performance again you know there's a reason he's the third lead of this movie is that you can drop this atomic bomb in, on him and watch him just like like you said he kind of melts away like his whole life is just like he's he's left neil for he's left neil to get charlene and charlene is ensnared in this trap and he knows that he's put her there and his son and he just has to—he just processes it. And that sort of melancholic, you know, music that's playing over the scene—the deep blue as you are just sort of swarming into his face. The camera's just right there, this weird sort of dark reflection, and he's, uh, as he's driving, it's such an amazing scene. It's like one of those things that you just want to—you want to just play on repeat, just to like examine every one of his facial tics and his eyes. And it's just—it's oh, just tremendous stuff. Like him at that—you know—you talked about. Um, just when we were kicking off the show, you talked about you're on a Batman Forever podcast and I think you're, you're, no, you're the most equipped person in the world to speak about the guy who went from Batman Forever and then into Heat. It's amazing.
0: This was my exact next point that I was just thinking of on the fly. Is um, In discussing Batman Forever, uh, Val Kilmer had the most... I adore Val Kilmer, but he just had the most bland performance. <laughs> and we and we talked in Batman Forever, and we talked about that that had to have been an intentional choice because he is too good of an actor. I don't believe, I, I never believed that that was an unintentional thing. And And we were grappling as to what that choice was. But he was doing pre-production on Heat, or not pre-production, but he was, like we've talked about in previous episodes, gun training and things like that during the filming of Batman Forever. And I, I will go out on a limb here, but I want to say those three to five, ten seconds of Al Kilmer in that car are perhaps the best performance of the film. <laughs> the, those, how much he captures without saying a word, you're looking at his, his expressions, his eyes, his face. Watch that, those few seconds and, and tell me there's a better few seconds in the film of a performance. It's it, it conveys a a lifetime of information, I believe.
1: I think I think it's so good and I I don't want to tread another minutes, but I would say like right now up into this moment, there's not a better moment in the film as far as performance. And what is so it's tre- amazing. what is so tremendous though is that we're about to we're about to go into what what is arguably one of the greatest close-ups ever in minute 147, so only really seven minutes away, of De Niro in the car in the tunnel, you know, watching yes. him, how how he does that. And then and, and a lot of people ask me, you know, a lot of people have got a lot of things to say about this period of Al Pacino's career and his performance. And I always point them to the final moments of this movie and I'm like, tell me that this guy's face conveying, again, the magnitude of, the emotions that have, you know, culminating in this final showdown and, and sort of having to meet, you know, meet the most perfect person for him in the whole universe and then kill him. It, you know, it, he outperforms like, there's like three whole movies worth of great performance in just like 12 seconds of close up. Yes. <laughs> it's and just, I, it just, they, 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 I think it's like exponentially just gets more powerful. And you forget until you're breaking the minutes down like this, you're like, oh, in 10 minutes' time, there's another one of these. And then in another twenty like fifteen minutes, there's another one. Like it's just crescendo after crescendo. Incredible stuff.
0: And I recall in your Bill Duke's episode where he talked about the acting isn't the lines, it's the reacting, it's the silent moments. Yes. And I just think of so many moments in this film, just De Niro, um, times when he's not talking. I mean, the, the amount of volume that's captured when these characters aren't speaking is is unrivaled so
1: and even charlene um, at the beginning of this scene like again like yes. a, it's like a. and this is why i think you're right you're so right about this minute the magnitude of this minute that you, you know you're to quote you that sheer devastation is because it's so rare in a movie you know you, you see it in a lot of you know conversational two shots you know someone will say something or they'll say something at the the most high level of emotion it even happens in this movie you know justine has some great um uh, justine and vincent have some great um back and forth uh where you know really heightened levels of emotion and really deep dramatic stuff but here you literally get the magnitude baton passing like you see the realization on charlene's face and then it just gets completely magnified at the in in the transition directly to chris so it's like it's so rare to see these two like having to just like you said they've got to be discreet because they right now they're the only two people in the universe who know that they had to make this sacrifice to cut loose. And,
0: and they go from they go from expressions of utter relief to terror to dev- <laughs> I mean it's just and it's and, and they exactly embody the feelings you as an audience member are feeling at that moment. So it's like it's given me a new appreciation for <laughs> for each one of those actors and for Michael Mann. So
1: it's it, it's so rare man i don't and this is the thing is you know uh, it, it is a brave you know is a brave actors director that just l- makes that mounts the pressure to say i need you to carry the weight of you know these i know what the emotional resonance you know the emotional trajectory needs to be of this scene and we potentially and in a lot of cases in heat there's been times where like if you look at like the third draft of the script just before the shooting script there's more dialogue in a lot of scenes there's like a line here there's Mm. something there and it's like the bravery or the I don't know. Just the awareness to just go. No, we're going to peel it back. We're going to take that line out, and we're just going to make you convey something. We're not going to let you say a word. We just want you to convey those emotions. And then these guys and and gals, you know, these terrific performers having the 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 savvy sort of performance and being right there in in that character to just go here it is and just unleash amazing stuff. Really amazing.
0: All 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 powerhouses. And I had a few other things in the minute. I don't want to diverge us. Two more. Can I hop into one one thing more in the next? Please scene do. Here? Please do. Please do. That that was a bad transition, but you know, <laughs> I did I did my best. What, in the very next moment something really uh, blows my mind. You cut to uh, is it Vincent Hanna? Yes, Al Pacino's character. He's kind of calling in to check in and see what's going on with the Wayne Grove situation. If mm. Neil is you know, if they have any signs of Neil looking for Wangro. And in the very, the very first person he calls, it's a hotel clerk who answers and says, you know, no updates here. Pacino lays down the phone, calls somebody else. It's those people on the video monitor. No progress. Nothing's happening. And I, in my first three viewings of this, I had no, no awareness that the hotel clerk, is the same hotel clerk that five minutes later is the one who's <laughs> suspicious of De Niro. Yes. It, in my prior viewings, I thought we just had a hotel clerk, you know, seeing De Niro coming into the hotel. We're talking five to 10 minutes later into the movie. And I thought he was just like a manager who was suspicious. Like, is this, this isn't one of my employees? And the beauty of this is that. I do not believe anybody on first viewing would make the connection no. that that was the person that Pacino was talking to earlier. It's just, it's just one of those background things in a movie that you never... You don't care who... The gist of the scene is Pacino, there's no progress. Not who he's talking to on the phone. Yes. And I don't think if you ever broke a movie down, unless you broke this down to a minute-by-minute minute basis, you would really ever notice that. It's just, it's just like a seemingly inconsequential thing. And that's an example of the type of detail... That's like layered throughout this film.
1: Yes. And and um, it's so funny that you said that is because until about three viewings or four viewings of uh, in this project o- overall th- that I didn't realize it. So very recently I just recorded that like the hundred and I think it's the, uh, I'll go to the exact episode, but it's like the 151st minute um, oh, sorry, the 150th minute is exactly 10 minutes later um, uh, that Jordan Harper and I are going to talk about on a future episode. We talk about this guy, like that being... De Niro being spotted by that guy and how tense that moment is, you know, him using the mag light to sort of... scratching his head, moving his face away. He's in the uniform. Everything looks prim and proper impressed. And the cop sort of lets him go. But it's... it's um, Yeah, I, it's it's so hard to notice. But also here, I love that, like... We, Vincent did a great job earlier when he was talking to Casals of like setting up the noose, setting up the trap that he was trying to like make ready. And so, you know, you look at it in the great movies where it's a little trap, and it's like like Predator, where you watch someone you know put up this big thing, and you're and you're just waiting for the the beast to to snare it. And in this movie, he's like. Vincent's so quick to go, well, I've lost one thing. Like this was one part of the trap that didn't didn't work. And he immediately picks the phone up. And there's just such a natural thing of like when you're pissed off and you're making phone calls and you don't want to show your emotions, he turns his back. I know it's a more cinematic thing, but he turns his back on the whole office and everyone is waiting in bated breath at his back. And he's like making those calls. What's happening? What's happening? Yes. And both the times it's just disappointment. And I think that what's cool about this minute is that you kind of get a sense that when – charlene cuts chris loose essentially um in this moment you get a feeling that vincent's going to come up trumps on both those other things on the phone so it's kind of you're already kind of getting a you're going oh shit now it's all falling apart again these guys are going to get away it's just another little uh, another little rug pull for us thinking that vincent had them and now he doesn't
0: absolutely and yeah that's that's a very good point because i mean us as an audience are pretty much convinced at that point, And this isn't like really a realization you'd have. I don't know if this is the point you're making, but Val Kilmer or Chris is free. Yes. You know, we as, a, we as an audience know he's free. And that almost like raises the stakes now for the rest of the film that like Neil is the last, is the last one. Yeah. You know what I'm saying?
1: And it felt all but certain that Chris was going to get trapped. So like the whole time we've been watching in, this mo- in the preceding moments, we're like, Chris is gone. He has no hope. A haircut, oh, surely someone's going to pick him up. And it was just yes. like that confluence of like slightly lacking attention to detail cops and just like trusting an ID or whatever. You know, he just gets through. He, he escapes the trap and all the stakes are like, well, Charlene's done because she's lied and she's going to get caught. Dominic is going to go to this Gladiator Academies in Chino. Everyone is going to be screwed here. But in this moment, it's like once he's free, you're like, oh, shit, they can be free. Like they can, they can escape. Like that doesn't make any sense yes. in in the in the realm of what we've come to accustomed with that sort of cops and crooks.
0: One more trivial, worthless question for you. I want your opinion: Is that hotel clerk an undercover um, police officer? Hundred percent hundred percent. Okay. One of my friends, one of my friends,
1: one of my friends made a joke that, um, all LA cops need a second job because it's so expensive. So, (laughs) (laughs) so yeah, he
0: very well may be an employee there too. And that to me is, that to me is fascinating because if you don't make the connection, which you never would, unless you watch this numerous times and on a minute by minute basis, you would just think that was a suspicious hotel clerk, but it's actually a police officer. Yes. And to me, that's just fascinating. And that, I don't know that it really means anything, but it's really cool that there's this layer of detailed things that you could conceivably never notice. And you would not. You would have no reason to think it's a police officer if you didn't see him making the call to him earlier.
1: And sometimes you just don't put it together. You're like, I know that phone call happens. I know Vincent's made this phone call a hundred times. And it's only when you really scrutinize the guy's face, you're like, oh, it's the same guy. Because in the Vincent phone call that we've just seen in this minute, he feels like, A lot less menacing but in that moment when he's got the shotgun framed right next to him and you know that there's the consequences of the gun it's like god this guy looks intense like his stare is just daggers and like you can tell that he's just probing throwing daggers out there just to see if if it could be this guy that he's been waiting with bated breath to make this you know to make this thing happen and uh yeah it's just it's just one of those great one of those great things and again like you said attention to detail who cares like in a lot of movies there's carelessness, but in this, it's like perfection. He just nails it.
0: I've I've tried I've tried on every viewing of this to find a weak spot, and I listened to your episode where you were talking about just just I just to feel better about the world. I wanted to find one false step in this movie, <laughs> and I and and I listened to your episode where you're talking about uh, Henry Rollins and Al Pacino. I was thrilled when I heard that episode when we talked about you could see the seams of maybe seeing a stuntman. Yes. So on this watch I was trying to find the stuntman but I couldn't. (laughs) (laughs) And so, like, there's a few borderline suspect performance issues on some fringe characters but not enough. And I just, I can't find a fault in this film yet. So, you know, I've been trying. So maybe if I haven't seen it by now I won't find one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, You know, it's crazy, Joe, is that this exercise, and this is one thing that a lot of folks ask me when they do the show and a lot of people listening sort of wonder is, you know, is there a moment that after watching this movie, you know, so many times as part of the preparation, diving into so many minutes with so many people is I then am just flabbergasted. Like when I see movies come off seamlessly, other movies they're so impressive. Like you just go, wow! Someone took a lot of attention to detail here, and a lot of great scripting. It didn't, wasn't too prescriptive with performance. Let their actors do their thing. And so when you see really impressive movies now, I'm like even more impressed because, you know, under the scrutiny that this movie had, that we've taken this movie through, you get it. But when you see bad movies and bad choices and like really constrictive dumb plot lines and lack of detail and th- anything that makes you as an audience member feel stupid i've just this movie has made me like i'm like wanger like i'm like i guess psychopathic <laughs> i'm just like <laughs> yes you're like do you fuck you want to fuck with me like i'm like putting the gun to the movie's head before it's over because i just can't it's so grating because this movie character for character pound for pound every minute has something wonderful, like something worth really, that's really satiating and satisfying in every minute and some things that make you deeply uncomfortable, like, you know, you're really devastated, you're really uncomfortable, you really, you're disturbed, you know, it's, it's a, a, you know, it's an incredible, incredible feat, uh, minute after minute after minute to do it.
0: And I knew that's why you struggled so much with Den of Thieves, and that makes so much more sense <laughs> to me now. Yes. Because I, I liked that movie because I had not seen Heat for three years before that. I'd only <laughs> seen Heat twice before, and I that the second I heard that episode, I'm like, oh, this motherfucker, he's seen Heat f- fifty times. <laughs> of course, of course, he's not going to enjoy Den of Thieves because if if you're looking den of thieves is a type of movie where you're just ignoring all you know the 20 to 30 missteps i'm being generous whereas there's not a single one in heat and i don't believe i don't believe it's fair to compare other movies to heat basically because you're talking about a film that had six months six months of pre pre pre-production 50 to 60 locations 107 day shoot a uh, hundred million dollar budget in today's dollars you know what i'm saying yes so look, look
1: not... I, th- I think it's i think it's totally fair i think it's totally fair for you to say and a couple of things i'll just say number one i've seen heat like 200 times there's not 50 it's like more it's probably be like 300 <laughs> times number, number i should know that by now, yeah. <laughs> no that's okay i was just gonna say and also you know with minute after minute of this movie you scrutinize it so where some filmmakers might be like They think they're taking inspiration, and they're like, "Oh, let's take structural cues or whatever." However, they built it. I can see. I see all the scaffolding. Like I just see straight through it, and I'm like, and I and I and I see the differences. And if the differences don't like help expand, because this one great thing about Michael Mann's work is he's fascinated with obsessives. He's fascinated with people who have got weird morals based on their professions, like who are willing to 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 basically forego natural senses of what morality is for their profession and he essays that in a whole stack of movies and you know the the very best of those are you know the very best in my mind are like Heat and you know if you're talking more of his crime films you know Heat, Miami Vice, Manhunter all phenomenal like essays of similar concepts Um, and I I just think when someone's got a chance to be inspired by Heat um, if they're not doing more with it and i feel like they're making it more reductive i'm like what are you doing like i i I I have a weird ownership whereas like there are great movies like if you watch brick brick you know ryan johnson talked about it afterwards he's like it's the high school version of a maltese falcon i'm like that is so smart like he just took the concept and had to retrofit it into a high school in his hometown and it just works like it just updates it just works brilliant and those two things can exist in the universe without you know and they can complement one another and you can feel happy about them existing in the universe
0: and one more thing i want to say without belaboring it and this will be a weird point but i got to visit la two weeks ago and be on the set of my brother's directorial debut and it was the greatest 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 experience of my life hands down and i'll never be able to replicate it but On set, I watched them for two hours do ten meticulous takes of one shot. And when you see how much goes into every single choice of a film, I believe a film, you know, the exercise of breaking a film down on a minute-by-minute basis doesn't necessarily matter what the film is, but when you get to do it with a film like Heat, you can extrapolate that exercise to viewing other films and watching them on a moment-by-moment, shot-by-shot basis. Um, I don't, I, you know, I don't, I don't know what my point is. I'm getting at here, but I mean, just these films, films deserve to be treated. And and do, what, listening to your podcast and doing this, it's an exercise that I can take to other films. Yes, you know, and because and, it's so easy to just. You know, just have it on in the background, but you can really just sit and appreciate every shot. Yeah, you know what I'm saying yeah, and, <laughs> and, and, and it's uh, giving uh, me it's giving me a tool to analyze <laughs> films in that fashion
1: oh thank you and I think that that's the aspiration of the project right it's because and this is what I find like great reviewers you know um, one you know there I've, I've spoken to so many on this show um, I've been blessed to speak to Matt Zola Zeitz and Nola Dargis multiple times and um, and but you know a reviewer that just springs to mind that you're talking about those you know moments to savor or single elements you know there's people like Walter Shaw as well who are writing just incredibly at the moment and I think it's about, it's about how you tackle those savory elements for you. What are those things that like in the middle of a m- movie, in the middle of an experience, in a fleeting moment, um, you know, I, I really jive with, even if I don't agree with their opinions, I really jive with critical minds who like tackle an element or tackle a tact or tackle a theme or whatever, just something that really jives with them or doesn't or grates the living daylights out of them. But also there are so few movies like in the content, you know, epic sort of content shitstorm that we're in right now it's just so many things to watch you i think those movies that have that that cut through the the lure of like a million things and like make you want to rewatch them are worth your time to like examine and they deserve all of that like a little bit of extra love because you know there's been so many movies i've been i've been like you know pursuing you know life as a film critic or at least you know Trying to in in what that means in the modern world, right? Um, for about close to ten years, and uh, maybe a little longer. And um, what one thing that has struck me is like, I've gone to film festivals and I've watched new films and I've watched you know everything, and I've lost faith in cinema more times than anyone else. <laughs> as, as critics do, you are cinephile, you watch movies. Sometimes you have a bad run and just nothing jives and everything feels trite. And then i come home and how I cured myself is this movie. I'd watch it. I believe it. And you just go, oh, that's why I like this. That's why I'm a cinephile. That's why I love movies because they can be like this. They can be
0: uh, perfect. And, and that's the same experience I've had listening to your podcast and watching this damn movie. It's like <laughs> it's refreshing. It's refreshing. And you only a few times a year. Last year you got Mandy and Annihilation there's, you know, this only happens so many times, but I didn't want to be one of your 40-minute episodes, and I realize <laughs> I'm approaching that, and I know you have to do 170 of these. So, <laughs> this was, uh, this was so much fun for me, and I'm, you know, very happy I got to do it as you're approaching the finish line. So.
1: Look, guys, we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up now, just to, to, th- to thank Joe for his time, and because you know we've got other folks who are trying to break the records of the longest episodes when they come on, like Travis Woods from Brightwall. Wall. Um, I love you, Trav. We're gonna he's gonna be back on the show, and, and he'll probably try and break his own record. But look, um, guys, if you want to follow Joe um, at Joe Grabinski on Twitter or Amazon reviews, just search Amazon reviews. Um, that's 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 his bread and butter, cracking people up. Um, Pretty much every day. Um, And uh, so amazing stuff there. Thank you so much, mate. This has been a pleasure. Guys, thank you for listening to the show. There is only, oh my God, 25 episodes left to go um uh, before we hit the ending and it's just minute for minute pound for pound this movie just does not relent and uh the tragic fallout is just unbelievable so i can't wait for you guys um to to join us on that joe thank you for being a supporter and all of your positivity i love it thank you mate really appreciate it and uh guys garth franklin thank you for our web design as always Mr. paul davies for our theme and uh let's just uh catch that magnitude of Val Kilmer's stare and think about it as we end this
0: episode and we'll catch you on another episode of One Eight Minute just around the corner